proving or disproving certain beliefs or myths that are out there. Now, sometimes the show would focus on some of the stunts that we would see done in, in Hollywood movies. For example, they wanted to prove, was it true that a person like Indiana Jones could take his whip and use that to knock a gun out of somebody's hand? Or could he use his whip to hook onto a tree branch and swing to another tree? Of course, all the shows weren't just about those kind of stunts that we recognize or just all Hollywood make-believe things. They actually tried to deal with some real-life situations, too. Like, could you, if you were driving your car, switch positions with the passenger while the car is still going and be totally safe? But then it had a more real-life uh, situation, too, where it said, would a lost man really stop and ask for directions? <laughs> well, whether they were talking about Hollywood stunts or talking about driving things that we deal with in our own life, the point was there are doubts that people have about certain things. And that's true not only for those stunts or those weird driving situations, that's true really for all of life, isn't it? We all have some doubts sometimes about things. Will, will this new tax law really be to my benefit? Will, this new, uh, will the flu shot really help me in keeping the flu away? And of course, there are also some doubts that we have about things that the Bible says to. So at this time of the year, when we're focusing on, on Jesus and who he is and, and what he has taught us, we also want to take some time to look at some of the doubts that we might have. And so we have a series of messages entitled Doubt Busters, looking at those questions that sometimes challenge our faith. And today we're going to start with a real basic uh, message, and that is how to handle our doubts, or as we might say, turning doubts into blessings. To learn that lesson, we're going to look at the most famous of all doubters, Doubting Thomas. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't believe. Let's review what that was all about in John chapter 20. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord 
and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Then the Apostle John goes on and adds this comment. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Why talk about doubts? That's because that's what's ahead. We will experience doubts in life. That's kind of a given. And though or because it is so common, we need to address it. How do you deal with doubts? But first, let's understand what doubts can do to us. Just looking at this account, the disciples had just gone through a very rough week. They had seen Jesus arrested, crucified, and buried. All their hopes, all their beliefs, they thought, were dashed. And then Jesus appears to them that night in that room. Even though they had gathered together with fear and the doors were locked, Jesus changed all that when he appeared to them and showed them he was alive. That should have busted all doubts. But Thomas wasn't there. Now they were very excited having seen the Lord and so when Thomas came back, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he didn't believe it. He said, unless I can actually see him, unless I can actually touch him and prove that it's him, I won't believe. Sometimes, when we go through periods of doubts, we have our own belief system, so to speak, shaken. And that reduces the joy that we should have from those beliefs. Here the disciples were, gathered together, but locked in fear. And Thomas, though the others were sharing this new joy, he refused to accept it. He was continuing on now in a life of, of doubt and unbelief and worry, sadness. Sometimes that happens to us too, doesn't it? When we are told something, but just don't see the proof of it, then we too can have some doubts. And those doubts just bring on worry and dash our joy. The very definition of doubt is this. It's being uncertain about something. Thinking something is questionable lacking a conviction in something, lacking belief, and then having fear. Now why is that? Because oftentimes we simply reject what God says about it. We question the truth and we want actual proof, and then we'll believe. Thomas, for 
perhaps thought his buddies were just delusional. But they were dreaming. Or maybe they had seen the ghost, but he didn't believe that it was Jesus. He was rejecting what Jesus did. He was rejecting what was spoken about Jesus. He was rejecting what the scriptures themselves said throughout the Old, Old Testament, that the Messiah would come and die for his people, but rise again, even Jesus three times before he was crucified, told his disciples very plainly he would be arrested, crucified, but on the third day he would rise again. But Thomas simply rejected that truth. Sometimes you and I hear very basic, simple promises from God, and yet we have a hard time accepting them when reality seems to show us differently and we reject the truth. What that does then is rob us of hope. Hoping confidence. Hoping what we are looking forward to in our shura. The Apostle Paul makes that very point when he's talking about people who deny the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see how doubts can lead to just taking hope away from us. We have nothing to look forward to. Last week when I was making visits at the prison, and by the way, if, if you get tired of hearing my prison stories, just tell me, I'll stop. But I don't want to tell stories about you. Okay? I visited a, a, a new inmate, a new to us. Uh, he has been there for 30-some years. He hasn't had a visit from anybody in 30 years. So this was his first visit. And he had asked, having heard from the other inmates about this pastor who comes up to visit. So I made an appointment and I got to see him. And after several hours of talking with him and about his life and his thoughts on things, he leaned over and said to me, Pastor, I don't know if there's a heaven. But if there is, I don't think God will let me in. Because I murdered my friend. There was somebody without hope. There was somebody who needed to know, not only is there a heaven, but there's a God who loves and forgives. And that heaven's door is open for him if he would believe. And I shared that message with you. Doubts can take away any certainty, any hope we have for the future. But it also affects us right here in life because it'll redirect our life. We all want something to hang on to. We all want something to, to hope in and, and to give us some confidence and encouragement. But if we doubt something, we're not going to hold on to that. We're going to look for something else. 
And, and so that's what people do. They, they look for something in this life then that will give them some encouragement or some hope or some joy. And so they turn away from, from what God promises because they can't accept it. And they look instead to what the world offers. And now they live for this life only. The Apostle Paul warned us about that when he wrote, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They're looking for something. Something to hold on to. And oftentimes that something will redirect their life, will take them away from God. You got hope? You've got doubts? Doubts are a common life experience. It's common to everyone. You're familiar with the saying, well, that's the oldest trick in the book. Well, doubt happens to be the oldest temptation in the book. That's the very first thing that Satan used to attack God's people. He said to Adam and Eve, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And then he goes on and says, you will not die. God just doesn't want you to eat it and be like him. The devil uses that same temptation, that same trick, that same tactic on us. Did God really say? Is that what God really meant? And then we have to realize that that doubt will begin to destroy us. We begin to question what God says, to doubt it, to deny it, and then to disobey what he says. And that disobedience leads to death. We can see how it was working in Thomas's life. The joy was gone. The questions, the doubts were there, and he would not believe. He was to be pitied among all. So what do we do when doubt is such a common experience for us? We have to know how we can turn the doubt around and to make it faith. So now knowing what doubt does to us, let's take a look at what we can do to doubt. We'll keep it real simple. A, B, C. First, just answer the doubt. Answer it with facts from Scripture. Let me give you an example. You know, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he stayed on earth for another 40 days and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Then, as he gathered his disciples together, to ascend into heaven, we are told this. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now we read that and we're going, how can they doubt? They just were around with him for 40 days. Many convincing proofs. There are even those who are worshipping him. How could they doubt that this was not Jesus? 
Well, this word doubt that's used in the Greek is, is different from the other words that the Bible uses for doubt, which means questioning and not believing. This word in the Greek actually meant they had to look twice at him. And looking twice at him to see this really is Jesus. They were convinced. And they heard his words saying all authority was given to him in heaven and earth. To go out and to make disciples of all nations. And that he would be with them until the end of the world. You see that tells us what to do with doubts. Look more closely at what God says and what God does. And with those facts, you can squash that doubt. That's why John added this message after he told us about Thomas. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. There is proof, there is evidence. Just look, answer the doubt with facts. And then John goes on and says, but these are written so that you will believe. And that by believing you will have life in his name. Answer the doubts then with faith. You know, I don't know what it is with, with human beings, but we seem to have this demand of God that he must make whatever he does and whatever he says sound reasonable to us. And then when he asks us to believe it, then we can believe it. God does not offer us constant explanations for what he does. If he did, our lives wouldn't be free from fear. Because if we knew everything that was going to be going on, we probably would be afraid. If we knew everything that was going on and didn't like it, we'd complain about it. And then maybe we'd even try to change it so we wouldn't have to go through it. God simply calls us to trust Him. So the B simply means believe God over against those doubts. Sure, sometimes we can't figure out why something is happening. But what we can understand is this. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. God, in his providence, can take millions of different things that happen to us and put them all together to make a beautiful picture of our life. Now, it's not that we have to think that everything that is happening is building up to one grand blessing. It might be that God is putting all sorts of little blessings together in our life. Just remember, His ways are not your ways. And also believe that nothing is impossible for Him. If you believe He is all-powerful and all-wise and all-loving, then you can know that God can do anything and has done anything even beyond what we could ever ask for or imagine. Believe God over the doubts. And then watch how that doubt can change to a blessing. It did for Thomas. 
When he saw the truth that Jesus was alive, he professed, You are my Lord and my God. And Jesus held out this promise. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Simply believing. Simply taking God at his word. Using the truth will bring you blessing. Apply it to the situations you face. Are you faced with sickness, some health problems? Have you been dealing with a situation where maybe death was brought into your life, the death of somebody else? Remember what God has done to death. Used it as a tool to give eternal life. When you feel powerless, remember you have a God who is all-powerful. When you don't understand what's going on, remember that God knows everything that's going on and will use it to bring blessing. Simply use the truth. And then take that same truth and share it with others. That's what John was doing by telling us about Thomas. Sharing with us that truth that Jesus is alive. It's a truth that others need to know. When I told that inmate, Joe, that heaven is real and that God forgives every sin, it started to change his life. The other inmates who called me then during the week on the phone told me, this guy is different. He's new. He came back with a different appearance on his face that we have never seen before. And now they're working with him through our Bible studies to bring him deeper into God's truth. It's a truth God wants us to share with those who have doubts. Got doubts? Why is this happening in my life? Why are my prayers not being answered? Does God really love me? Will God forgive what I have done? Yesterday in my email, I had the devotion that our synod sends out as a daily email. And if you're interested, then I'll share with you the uh, web address so that you can sign up for them too. But it talked about this man, Charles Bradwell who was a very riveting speaker, a very powerful intellect in the 19th century in England. He had founded the National Secular Society, which was a society that was pro uh, promoting atheism. And he would take on pastors in England and debate them so he could put them down. So he asked one pastor to debate him, and the pastor thought about it and came back with this condition. He said, only if I can bring with me 100 believers so that they can share their testimony about what faith in Jesus does for your life. And he said, to keep it fair, you can bring 100 atheists and they can tell you about atheism. He agreed and the day came for the debate. The pastor and his followers showed up. And they waited and waited and waited and no atheist came. Not even Bradwell because they had nothing to say. We have something to say 
We have the truth, and the truth can change doubts. Paul said, my message, my preaching, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. God doubts. Who doesn't? Here's how you deal with it. When you're in doubt, pull your Bible out. Because there are the answers. And then let us also pray, as did the Father who came to Jesus with his Son, possessed by a demon. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Amen.